if you stop limiting yourself and if you stop getting yourself out of the way. You got to really, really get that this is your for such a time as this moment, that we are all ordinary orphan girls on some level, literally or emotionally, that it doesn't matter what our past is about. What matters is our calling. And if we raise our hand and say, dear God, please use me, you too will be living your legendary life and you will be having the biggest impact in the world that literally only you can. You've gotten great at divine working, but what about divine living? Welcome to the Divine Living Podcast. I'm your host, Gina DeVee. You're not alone in wanting more. And here at the Divine Living Podcast, you can expect to be part of conversations from women like us who unapologetically dream big and are obsessed with manifesting our most fabulous lives. The conversation starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You know, it is such sacred space to take time in this busy modern world to actually not just be busy, to not just go through the motions, to not just be scattered, but to actually pause and give your next level calling even an hour of attention. So congratulations for being here and being one of the few, by the way. People are like, oh, I'll listen to it while I do dishes and I'll, I'll do it later or next time and all the excuses. And we all know that there is nothing like the present moment. So queens, we are going to not waste any time and get started right here, right now with going into the next steps for you to uncover your next level calling. Now, to live that epic life, to really get the clarity about your next level calling, we're playing a big, big portion of this with the inner game, and then we're going to be bringing it to the outer game. The inner game is about your spiritual connection, and we're going to dive even further into some of that today. The inner game is about getting that you being in your feminine power of play, passion, pleasure is actually your North Star to lead you to this epic life. You know, too much of the teachings of the world would say, well, you have to work harder and you have to put in more time and you have to um, climb the ladder and you have to do all these things that are practical and probable and reasonable. And then if there's enough time or enough money left over, then and only then can you pursue your passions. And that is not spiritual guidance. That's what a bunch of really scared people have taught us, that we need to save for a down payment for a house, or we need to save for retirement, or we need to not do all the things that light us up because it's really hard and very few people make it. And all of those old stories, we made that decision and a decision means to cut and we are not believing any of that. So step one is understanding that the epic life is a fact for those who choose to claim it for themselves. It's available for everyone but you must choose it and claim it for yourself. Step two is understanding that spirituality is your superpower. You are not in this alone. There is guidance, there is flow, there is favor, there is peace that passes understanding when you are connected with spirit. Step three is all about getting great at being feminine. Let me do a quick teaching, and it is all in my book. All of these concepts are written about in much greater depth in the book. If you want to supplement or uh, if you've already read the book, and you want to go back and reread some of these pieces, or if you haven't gotten the book, uh, you can get that at divineliving.com forward slash book. And so in the book I teach, there's masculine energy inside each of us, and there's feminine energy inside each of us, regardless if we are male or female. 
So masculine principles are all about being probable, practical, linear, concrete, tangible, predictable, organized. It's, it's really ultimately all about giving. And feminine principles are about femininity and creativity and intuition and all things intangible and invisible. This, the feminine is what can see things not as they are, but as they could be. The masculine is, I'll believe it when I see it. And though I believe there's a really strong place for both of the beautiful energies to be used in this world, our detriment has been that Western culture is literally so addicted to masculine energy that they make all things feminine wrong. And what I'm here to suggest is that we integrate. What I'm here to suggest is that we, we begin with feminine principles and back it up with masculine because ultimately femininity is about receiving. So to give you an analogy, the masculine is the concrete glass structure. It's the, it's, it's tangible. It's, I mean, even that's a little bit, you know, it, it, it's a, a container. And its job is to give to the feminine. The masculine purpose is to be in service to the feminine. The feminine is the water. The feminine is the clear, fluid liquid. It's not concrete. It's not a container. It's not tangible. It's this fluid able to do its job. It must be held by the masculine, okay? And we've gotten it so reversed, and particularly us women, we've gotten so obsessed with working and doing, we forgot what it is to play. You know how many women, even in my high-end programs, they'll ask me like, you know, I've got a day off. What do I even do with it? Like, what does it even mean to play? Like, I I'm almost even uncomfortable with it. I'd rather even just work. You know, it's just easier to just distract myself with work. Or, and that does not lead to the epic life. All work and no play makes a very boring queen. Yes. Okay. We're going to go into five more steps to getting you to your epic life today. All right, queen. So you're with me? Today, we are going to start with a prayer, and then we're going to dive right in. <sighs> Dear God, thank you. Thank you for seeing us as you created us. Thank you for creating that way where there is no way. Thank you for each and every woman here in this community that this is a place where we come to remember who we are and discover what you have designed for us. Because we know that our limited thinking, our boring thoughts, our pathetically predictable behaviors are not in total alignment with what you have designed for us. So today we open up, we get ourselves out of the way, we dust off our thinking, we open up to the dazzle that we know that you have waiting for us. And no matter what's going on in our life today, no matter how hard, how heavy, how blocked, how constrained any of it feels, we know that none of that is of you. So in this moment, we ask for a miracle. In this moment, we choose to begin again. In this moment, we surrender anything holding us back to tap into the glory of who you are and what you have designed to flow through us. And we pray this believing together, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, queens, we are diving in. Five concepts I've got coming your way that you are gonna love. They're gonna absolutely unleash you into your next level calling, which is what you deserve and it's why I know that you're here. And you do this, and this is guaranteed success, guaranteed results, and I can stand by that. Okay, so 
concept number, I think we're on number four. The fourth step to, and I'm going to try and keep these in order here because I'm not normally a step-by-step person, but word on the street is a few of you like some structure. So I'm giving you steps today. Um, Step four, what do I want to call this step? Step four is you really, really getting the truth. I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with a soundbite in a minute, but let me discuss the concept first. You getting the truth that your epic life, AKA your next level calling, it's not contingent upon what the world taught you. The world taught you only a few people get it. You have to be super, super talented. You have to work all the time. There's not enough to go around. It would have you compare yourself to other people and say, I could never. The world would tell you that, well, you have to come from a certain family or have a certain amount of money or be a certain age and all of the rules that the world would teach. And just one of the reasons I'm so in love with God is because that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, trying to compete and be the best and the most talented. I mean, I'm a pretty ambitious gal, probably like you. And it's just like, uh, I don't know. Maybe should we just go to Italy and sip Prosecco? Like, <laughs> it's just a lot, a lot of pressure. But I've checked in on that that path, by the way. I've had a couple of escape routes. One I write about in my book is uh, Move to Cyprus to Wait Tables. The other is just go peace out in Italy and drink Prosecco. And every time I've really leaned in to maybe that's, let's just do that, it doesn't give my soul relief. It's not really the epic life. It's, It's a checkout. It'll probably feel great for like, I don't know, three or five days, but it's not the full soul calling that I know is inside of each of us. So then I have to like dial myself back. Nothing wrong with aperitivo hour. It's just not the end all be all of why we're here. And when I get connected with God, that's where, and like we talked about yesterday, all things are possible. When you get connected with it, and I'm going to say God, you use spirit, universe, source. There's agnostic people, people of all faiths, no faiths. Everybody's welcome here. You just translate, queen, for whatever is going to serve you. You don't need to fit into my vocabulary or my box at all. Uh, You let whatever words are flowing through me serve you to lift you up. That's my only prayer and intention. And I'm just going to be who I am and then you, you can filter me through. And so one of the things that's so relieving about God is that this is where the miracles are. When you get to surrender and be connected with God, that's where you are enough. That's where you are one of a kind. That's where there is no competition. That's where your life is meant for epicness. And all you got to do is discover that and who you are is enough and where you are at is absolutely perfect. And you're like, well, then, then it doesn't become so crushing. Then it doesn't become like, have you go into shutdown before you even start. It lets you be curious. It lets you play. It lets you like have that little girl sense of wonder and dazzle because you're like, okay, well then if I'm enough, if I'm talented enough, not that we don't continue to cultivate skills and talents and and learn new things. Yes. But whatever it is that you are destined for, you are capable of. 
I know a lot of people were like, well, what if I like get this big business and what if it's too much to manage or what if I make a bunch of money and I don't know what to do with it? And like, no, 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 no. God doesn't give us a divine assignment and then not make us capable of fulfilling it. Okay. So eradicate those thoughts. So the best example that I can share with you is, well, I'm going to give you a, bu- a whole bunch of examples, but I'm going to give you one main one. And it's what the basis of my work is really based on. And it's on the ancient and, st- and true uh, story of Queen Esther of Persia. So take this few minute ride with me and I will uh, explain how she and her story relate to you and your next level calling. So uh, we're going to go back to ancient Persia, and I'm going to do this real quick for those of you who've already heard the story. Uh, Christians know it from the Bible. Jews know it from Purim. For those of you that haven't heard it, it's a pretty awesome, true Cinderella story. In ancient Persia, there was a king named King Xerxes, and he was like the most powerful and the richest man in the entire world at the time. And he threw this six-month party, literally six months, where everybody in the kingdom was partying. And at the end of the six months, there was six days where all the nobles and officials came and they had like a special party. And all the men were in one room and the women were in another room. And the king was high in spirits and asked to have his queen summoned where she would come and parade her beauty in front of basically him and his drunken friends. The queen said no. The king was outraged. His friends were outraged. They were totally afraid. What do we do with a woman who says no to a man? And P.S., our wives are in the room with the queen and just saw the queen say no to the king. There's going to be mayhem in the land. The guys couldn't handle it. So the king's like, well, what do we do with her? And they're like, excommunicator, get her out of, like, let's have a really, really big consequence for a woman who says no to a man. Well, we, we see that not everywhere has this fear and consequences been eradicated. So Queen Vashti was her name, and she was excommunicated from the kingdom. Now, part of the consequence of excommunication basically meant you were sentenced to death. Because if you weren't protected by the tribe, by the the kingdom, by the fortress, you would starve to death, you'd freeze to death, maybe be eaten by a wild animal. There's so much power in the collective community. This is part of why we women are like so afraid. Some troll says one bad thing about us online and we freak out. And it's because if we're not feeling held in the collective, we're literally afraid we're going to die. So Queen Vashti gets excommunicated. At the same time, a little bit over into the Middle East, there is a war going on in Israel. And at this time, the historians say that there was a young girl named Esther. We're just going to go with Esther right now. There's more to the story. But there was a young girl named Esther, and her parents were killed in the war. So as a young girl, lady, she's orphaned. This is actually where her story begins. So listen close. Esther is first orphaned, and then the Israelites that were losing the war were cast out and exiled to Persia, where they were treated like second-class citizens. So not only, I mean, just imagine, and, and perhaps some of you have been literally orphaned. Maybe both of your parents have died. Maybe you were given up for adoption, and you, you were orphaned in that way. Or most of us can, if we haven't been literally orphaned, then we know what it means to be emotionally orphaned. That means to be without mother or father. And that's the mother-father story of the way that your mother or father didn't show up in the way that you desired or wanted. So we see that the path of the royal road uh, 
It's not an ordinary one. It starts out being orphaned and exiled. So once she gets to Persia, she's got one living relative. His name is Mordecai. And she's like, oh, okay, great. So she goes and Mordecai takes her in. She finally is in her comfort zone, except for the king is kind of like, hmm, I'm lonely. So he decides that it's time for him to have a new queen. So the strategy was to basically have a beauty pageant where they round up all the young maidens of the land, throw them into the palace harem, where for a year they have to be prepared with beauty treatments and special foods before they can even go to the king. Mordecai says, Esther, hide your identity. Don't tell anyone who you are. Esther walks into the palace harem. And this is another such a telling point, ladies. She walks into the palace harem and the scriptures say she had a pleasing disposition. She was pleasant in both feature and form and had a pleasing disposition. That means she had a great attitude. If I had been orphaned and exiled and then again taken out of my comfort zone, also being a Jewish orphan in Persia, knowing that I have zero chance to be the next queen of Persia, I don't know that I would have had the best pleasing disposition, but not Esther. So Esther literally has this attraction factor going on, and she is noticed by the palace eunuch. His name is Haggai, and she he puts her in like the best part of the harem and gives her the best maids. And when it's her turn to go to the king, he tells her exactly what to wear. In my opinion, Haggai is the first ever life coach. Esther's very coachable. She takes nothing other than what he suggests. Unbeknownst to the king, he chooses a Jewish orphan girl to be the next queen of Persia. So everyone's all excited and there's a banquet for the queen and Esther gets her crown and the whole thing. Now, in modern day society, we would be like, awesome, she wins, that's the end of the story. Honey, being queen, only from the position of queen you will see, can you actually fulfill your calling? So I want you to lift your chin and push your shoulders back because you two are every much of queen as Esther was. So right when Esther gets crowned queen, there's a law issued by the king's best friend to kill, destroy, and annihilate all the Jews. So Mordecai gets word to Esther and he's like, Esther, you gotta go to the king. You gotta reveal who you are. You gotta save us. You gotta save your people. And she's like, no, 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 not me. Can you relate, right? Like God's giving you some leadings that you should go inspire people. You should sell real estate. You should do graphic design. You should uh, start, you know, get involved with that MLM. And you're like, no, 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 not me. I couldn't do that. And Mordecai, this is the most famous scripture, he says, Esther, for such a time as this, you have been called into royalty to save your people. And it's like, she doesn't even get it. She starts to see herself for the first time and it's like, see her circumstances. Like, look at everything God had to do and orchestrate. Orphaned, exiled, taken out of her comfort zone. There are 2,500 women, this historians say. She was chosen out of 2,500 women for such a time as this. And you, queen, we're gonna get into this, have no less of a legendary life awaiting you for such a time as this. We haven't gone through this pandemic for you to sit back on the sidelines and think that you're not important or not supposed to be a big feminine leader or have massive impact. So Esther says, okay, I will go before the king and if I perish, I perish. But first I'm gonna go into prayer and fasting. And she goes and she prays and she fasts for three days, spiritual principle. Remember, spiritual is your superpower. And after the three days, she comes out wearing her royal robes and goes and stands before the king. And the king's like, what is it, Esther? Even up to half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. And she says, come to a banquet I've prepared for you and bring your best friend Haman. 
So the king's like, don't do. So he and Haman go to the banquet and they're feeling all great about themselves. And the king's like, Esther, I'm intrigued. What is it? Even up to half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. She's like, come tomorrow. You see femininity at play. It's not just all linear. Like, all right, we got to get this done. Come tomorrow to another banquet. I'll tell you then. So the king and Haman come again the next day. And the king's like, what? And she says, I am a Jew. So she risks all, risks her life. I am a Jew. There has been a law issued to kill me and my people. And I'm asking for you to save us. And the king's like, who would issue such a law? And she confronts and she says, your best friend, Haman. So the short version of the story is the king has Haman killed and the king says he can't overturn the law because it's been signed with his signet ring, but that he can amend the law. And there was a law that said the Jews could not fight back when the king's army went out. So on the particular day, because we, you know, we all want the perfect story, but no life epic story is perfect. On the particular day, the king's army did go out to kill the Jews, but I'm sure you know who reigned victorious. And the Jews did fight back. And in my book, Esther is the heroine of all time. So we look at this. And we say, I don't know that Esther was the most beautiful. I don't know that she had the best personality. But what I know is that for such a time as this, she was called. It's like part of her talent was just who she was. It was just being Jewish. That was part of her purpose and her calling. Part of her talent was having this pleasing disposition. And part of her talent was having the courage to speak up. I don't know that any of those in and of themselves are all that epic. They sound like human characteristics to me if you take the high road, but it's not like the scriptures were going on about she was the most gorgeous and the mo had the most compelling and the most this and that. She was just an ordinary orphan girl that let her life be used. Let me give you another example. So, um, in this, and I'm, I'm just using scriptures because these are kind of, you know, epic tales and, and the whole thing. So, but there's obviously lots of, uh, of stories that illustrate. David, David, before David was king, David was a shepherd boy. Nobody believed in David's power. He would literally hang out with the sheep. He would write music. But when it came, it had, all of his brothers were like, it had all these accolades and were in the military. And when it came time to fight Goliath, David shows up. So David's the small one. So he, he didn't have some big brawn and great body. He didn't have any military experience, like the entire military that was there and was like, oh, not me. He didn't even like slay Goliath through song and music, which the Bible said he was pretty good about that. His talent was with a slingshot, people, a slingshot. And it's a slingshot combined with faith. It wasn't it's just this slingshot. It was what God did with that slingshot that rose him literally to the throne. So we don't see David discounting himself. We don't see David saying, I'm not enough. We don't see David saying, well, I don't have the experience or who am I? We see David showing up and saying, me and my God and my slingshot, we got this. That's what we see. I'm going to give you Moses. Like, you know, we all like kind of like 
clapped for Moses and the whole party of the Red Sea. And he got like a, a whole bunch of like, you know, modern day Hollywood red carpet versions of it during his life. But the dude couldn't even talk right. Like he was this big famous leader and he kept trying to get his brother to be the one to like go and do the things because his brother was a great orator. God is going to use who God is going to use. You don't have to be the best speaker. You don't have to be the best author. You don't have to be the best singer. Like any of it, if God has a calling on your life and you're available to combine your faith with a dear God, please use me, you and your talent or experience or lack thereof becomes, your talent becomes enough and your experience becomes irrelevant. There's one more. Actually, I think this one's important too, because a lot of us want to be like, well, I'll, I'll help people later. But I was reading today in the Bible where basically, relatively speaking, there was a, there was a king and there was a socialite and the socialite was, was dancing and the king was pleased with her. And he's like, what can I give you? Like, what do you want? You know, like today it would be a Bentley. At that time, she said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And the king was a little nervous about it because he knew he was a prophet. But anyways, he said, go and have John's head brought to me on a silver platter. And when Jesus heard the news, because they were buddies, he retreated. You know, you could, you could uh, feel his sorrow. And he retreated and he wanted to get away from the crowds. But the crowds came after him. And he got to a place where he let the crowds surround him. And the Bible says there were 5,000 of them and people were hungry and it was hot and, and, and the whole thing. And so Jesus is sitting there talking and there was a kid with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. And what I noticed is that even though Jesus had these human ex feelings of sorrow for the death of his friend, the horrific murder of his friend who had done nothing to deserve that injustice, he was still willing to show up. He was still willing to give. And from that place came abundance. And we're still talking about fishes and loaves thousands of years later. That kid, all he had to do was show up with lunch. That was his superpower. Like that was enough. And then I, I really like the, the, the reframe that Joel Olstein gives on this. He's like, and what about the mom who made the lunch? Like, she probably didn't think she had any big superpower that day. And all she did was make her kid lunch. He goes and brings his lunch to where Jesus is. And then it feeds 5,000. And then there's even leftover. So I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. I, I hope that this demonstrates the point to you. You have the talent that God can use to create the epic life, to create the ultimate contribution. If you stop limiting yourself and if you stop getting yourself out of the way, you got to really, really get that this is your for such a time as this moment, that we are all ordinary orphan girls on some level, literally or emotionally, that it doesn't matter what our past is about. What matters is our calling. And if we raise our hand and say, dear God, please use me, you too will be living your legendary life and you will be having the biggest impact in the world that literally only you can. That's pretty exciting. All right. So that is step four.
Step five to living your epic life is really making sure that you keep yourself out of the sabotage. Keeping yourself out of the sabotage. There's a bunch of stuff that other people have done to us that's not cool. They've like told us things, held us back, done wrong, all, all of that. But the darkest place in a woman's life is when you yourself self-abandon. And I know that for myself. You know, there's been so many times, and it's been funny even over the last year, even since my book came out, I have no problem outing myself on this. Like I would watch certain like media outlets or publications or interviews or whatever and be like, oh gosh, like not even wouldn't that be amazing to be interviewed by that person or to be on that media outlet, but like actually have the the, the conditioning tape play in my head. I could never get on that. And then every single time, every single time, it even happened like as recently as last week, somebody that I personally know that, and I will say this somewhat begrudgingly, but it is true. Every single time I have seen somebody that I personally know that I do not consider having the level of talent that I do on that publication. Every single time. One time it was even in the back of a New York taxi. Like, you know, like the little like TVs that like do the things and whatever. And, you know, I was thinking that, well, that's just for famous actors. And then I saw someone in my industry and I was like, Gina DeVee, look at all of the ways that you take yourself out of the game. And I'm talking online, print, television, like across the board. And I teach this stuff. So this stuff is really sneaky. So I really want you to get that step five is about you really learning and taking ownership over where are you self-sabotaging? Where are you self-sabotaging? Because the self-sabotage is you saying you're not enough. The self-sabotage is you saying you don't have what it takes. The self-sabotage is saying I could never or it's too much for me and all of that. And look, we can go and do like therapy and the roots of where it came from, but why at this point? Why, how about just making a different decision? How about making the decision that you do have what it takes? What about putting more energy into the idea for that business or that product or that service or your interior design skills or whatever it is that you wanna bring forth in the world? And just start nurturing that and saying, what if it were possible? What if it were possible for you to get your own book deal or be on the cover of a magazine or get the gig on TV or get that first 5K month or make consistent 10K months? What if that actually was possible for you? How life-changing would that be? And one of the ways that people really get hooked into the self-sabotage piece is thinking that you got to know all the answers, all the next steps, all the big picture. Like people will be like, well, I, I, I don't, I know I want to help people, but I could do this or I could do that. I, I don't really know what I want to do. The fact that you know that you want to help people, that's enough of a first step. Don't let yourself off the hook with the excuse of that you don't have all the details. None of us do at the beginning. It's always awkward before it's elegant.
right? Like, because you don't know what your podcast would be on. Or like, I didn't know what the, how the book was going to turn out. Nobody knows that at the beginning. So if you want to get yourself out of princess mentality and out of the saboteur that I write about in my book, then get yourself out of the self-sabotage. And you don't have to pressure yourself to get it the first time because sometimes you're like, you don't even realize how unconscious it is. But then if you start to go, oh, wow, I just told myself that I don't have what it takes. I just said, well, nobody would sign up to work with me or what. Go and counteract it. Go and counteract it. But one counteraction is to say out loud the opposite of what you just told yourself. And then the second step is to take some action in the direction of your dream. So it's like you see somebody, I don't know, you hear yourself say like, nobody would ever work with me to be, to help them lose weight. And you say, no, there are more than enough ideal clients that would love to work with me on losing weight. And I'm going to go make one Instagram post today, encouraging somebody who's under the covers right now, or holding a bat, you know, a, a tube of Pringles on what's one step they can take. This is how you get out of self-sabotage, ladies. And do not think that because what I'm giving you is simple, isn't profound. When the ideas came to me, I did the same thing. I said that it was possible and I took an action step. I made a phone call. I signed up for a class. I um, bought a book. You know, like I took one action step and it's it's enough for you to start validating. Okay. so. That step five to going towards your epic life is that you are the one getting yourself out of the shadows, out of the invisibility, and into the spotlight. Step six, the disease to please. It's time for a cure. The whole like, but what are they going to say about me? It's just boring at this point, isn't it? Let's have an honest conversation here because I would be lying to you to say that I give zero Fs about what other people say about me. I've come a long way. I'm, I am not Teflon, but I'm really committed to living more of my life than being afraid of what other, someone else is going to say about me. Like, I mean, family is a killer for sure. It's just, it's such a, I'm not saying that we don't all do it to some degree, but like, could we just not, could we real, could, could you and me and this vortex really create the trend where we develop such emotional maturity that we aren't afraid of others anymore, particularly other women or other men or other people in your family? Because I got to tell you something, I had paralyzing fear. Teens, 20s, early thirties. And once I started working on my codependency stuff, it's like, it's gotten less strong, less strong, less strong every year since. I don't get my teen years back. I don't get my twenties back. I don't get my early thirties back. I let myself be robbed of decades of my life that I will never be able to get back because I was more interested through my own wounding, of course, I was more interested. I was in such survive mode that someone else's opinion of me mattered more than my own opinion of myself. 
someone else's opinion who's like most of them aren't even in my life anymore. I let just even thinking what they would think about me if I really showed up, if I wore that, if I said no, if if I said yes, I missed out. I missed out. And part of why I'm so passionate and and just leaning into my best life and my epic life and my next level calling with everything in me, not that I get it always perfect or right, of course, but with everything I consciously have in me is because I am so much more afraid of the unlived life than what some disgruntled client who signed up for a program and never did anything with it wants to say about me online about how the program doesn't work and Gina, blah, blah, blah. I am so much more afraid of getting to the end of my years and having any morsel of an unlived life than what Sally978 said about one of my programs or me or what I was wearing or how I dropped an F-bomb on stage or said too many scriptures. I mean, like, it's just like I can't. And if you get how freeing it is to just be yourself, look at, I... I, I, I talk about the Bible. I'll talk about Christianity. I'll drop F-bombs. I, I listen to all kinds of music. Like I've just given myself, like I can't get it right for everyone anymore because I'm not in any one of those boxes. For, for a lot of Christians, I'm not Christian enough. For a lot of secular people, I'm like way too Christian. For um, conscious business owners, I'm too much about the money. For um, like, well, I'm out. I'm out. I'm just doing me these days. And it's so freeing. And that's what I want for you. Because when you really get, no one's going to love it all, but no one needs, like, you don't need all the people to love all of you. They're like that, like they, there's other people for that. Like you do you. And the more you lean into you, and the less you're worried about the disease to please and, and little Miss Perfect, my goodness, I, you know, and I got to tell you, I, I owe a lot of cosmic thank you notes to a lot of former clients who scared the shit out of me because, you know, Gina wasn't being nice enough or Gina was too this or like, you know, it's like, and, and I started walking on these pins and needles and, and look, I, I have not always gotten it right. And there's, you know, when there's a place to apologize, I've gotten really good at apologizing. Like, like I, it's not about not caring how you come across. It's just giving yourself permission to live life on your terms, wear what you want to wear, like give yourself permission to take messy and imperfect action or invest in something that you might get something out of, but it might not like be the end all be all or, or try your hand at photography or painting or whatever it is that lights you up. But please, 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 understand that as long as the disease to please is your primary diagnosis, you will not get to your next level calling. You will not get to your epic life because it'll get watered down. It will like, because people are craving the epic and nobody is craving the disease to please. You know how unattractive it is when someone's like sniffling and coughing and like, and is just sick mentally, physically, or otherwise, like you don't, you don't want to be around that. And so the more you can just give yourself permission, little by little, you know, 
order a hamburger when you go to lunch with vegans. I don't like, you know, say, say you want the vaccine in front of a bunch of people who are like anti-vax, like, like whatever is true for you, because the more you love you completely and the more confident you are in you, I really believe that we're going to create a ripple effect women. Like, can't we just live and let live from politics to, to social issues, to, to business, to commerce, to money, to femininity, to relationships, to, to how we're doing life. Like we don't know what someone else's destiny is. Why don't we stop judging people? But you're not going to stop judging people until you stop judging yourself because you cannot give what you don't have. All right. So I want you to focus on you. I want you to focus on freeing yourself. I want you to focus on, on taking some imperfect action, messy action, and let it be awkward before it's elegant. I, you know, a couple of these classes I'm in right now, it's taking all. It is taking all. Things like this, like, you know, when you've been doing something for a hot minute, you, you something that you love that you've gotten, you know, relatively decent at, like, th this is easy and fun for me. Like, I, you know, literally, I, I happen to do hair and makeup. I could, like, wake up out of my sleep and, like, you know, do it in a split second. I was thinking about how awkward I feel in some of these other areas I'm developing a skill set. And I remember, I remember my beginning talks and when I felt so awkward doing the talks, I felt like I didn't have my own voice. I felt like I was like mimicking other speakers that I had listened to too much. I felt like I was just saying what everyone else was saying. It's okay. It's a beginning. My beginning business stuff, it was awkward too. But I'll tell you what, I let myself be awkward and I got to multi-millions. Who's mad? Not me, not Glenn, not my team, mm -mm. and not all those clients that I have had the privilege and honor of blessing over the years. So I want you to get that when you drop the disease to please, which again, I think is where we at, step five, six, it's a double blessing. It's a double blessing because anytime you're afraid of how you're going to look, by definition, you're self-obsessing. By definition, you are not focused on being of service. And I know that that's really what's in your heart and what you want to be. So let's focus on dropping that disease, please. The next one is seven, the comparison trap. And this one, ooh, this one's going to save you, queen. This one's going to save you. The comparison trap, I mean, you know, all you got to do is pick up your phone, go on Instagram, do, do any of it. You can be feeling great. You could have done yoga, meditated, gotten a new client and pick up Instagram for four seconds and see someone else doing what you want to do and be flat on your face in envy, jealousy, not enoughness. I could never do what she's doing. He's so much better, whatever, whatever, whatever. And the comparison trap is a trap. However, I have an antidote for it. And every single time, no matter how audacious, no matter how audacious, I've learned to turn it around. And the first time it came was I had a, um, there were a bunch of really big fish in the industry that like I would just daydream about being on the same stage with. And I had a, former client. So not even colleague, not even anyone at my level, but who's judging, right? Like little fish client get invited to speak on this stage with all these bigwigs. And 
I felt like I was stabbed. I was like, speaking is my skill set. I'm such a bigger fish. How did she get that gig? And like, God, why did you let that happen to her? And then mad at all the other people that like, like all the other people that didn't even know any of the details and circumstances about all I knew is that this little fish was going to speak on a stage with a bunch of big fish and I wasn't going to be there. And I was pissed, angry, insulted, jealous, envious, all the things. Excellent place to be for a women's empowerment coach. And thankfully, I have a morsel of spiritual principle. And I just prayed. I was like, what is this message for me? And I basically clearly heard you didn't believe that you could be on that stage now. You thought that you could be there one day. She believed she could be there now. So who became my teacher? In that moment, I really got, I needed to hold myself at a higher level. I needed to not do the sabotage thing of like, oh no, not me, but maybe one day later. And I, because I had her email, she had been a client. I, I sent an email and I said, I saw that you're speaking on the such and such stage. And I just wanted to congratulate you. I think it's amazing that you have elevated yourself and are making this contribution and are attracting these um, incredible opportunities. And I also want you to know that you've been a real role model to me now and an example of what it looks like for a woman to go for it. I think that I was, I forget what I said, you know, thinking that those, that level of opportunity wasn't for me until my name became bigger. And you really, you've, you've really been an example. So thank you. And she wrote me back and, you know, whatever. Of course, it was a love fest. And what I got in celebrating her while simultaneously owning it for myself, because I also see a lot of women, and I've done this before, like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you. That's so amazing. You hit seven figures. You hit a 10K month. You got your first $500 client, whatever it is. Like, and, and sometimes we can get so great at celebrating, but keeping ourselves out of it. And I want you to get really great at keeping yourself together with the celebration and validation of another while you're calling it in for yourself. So the prayer really became, thank you for showing me that this is possible. And I acknowledge that this is something I desire for myself and I claim my worth in calling it in immediately. Okay. So it's a twofold. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let's not twist the scriptures in any other way than they're meant for. Other people count and deserve to be celebrated and so do you. All right. So that's the way you get yourself out of the comparison trap. That is step seven. And then when you do these things, step eight, you're going to see that you can bend time and space. You're going to see that all those masculine ways that have been etched in your brain and in your conditioning, that this is the way it has to be done, that it's going to take so long or that it's like not possible for you. Mm -mm. Not when you apply. I, I spend a lot of time on the inner game to help you bend time and space in the outer game. I'm going to give you some examples. So when you understand that who you are is enough, that the talent that is within you is enough and that God has what it takes to do something with that. This is where you bend time and space. So let's just start with, 
I want each of you to acknowledge your talent. Maybe it's a talent that you've always been proud of. Maybe it's a talent that you've poo-hooed. Well, like, I don't really have a talent. Like, I, I just encourage people. That's just easy for me. Well, not everyone's an encourager, right? Joel Olstein is basically a professional encourager. Going okay for him, I'd say, right? So what's your talent? Are you great at speaking? Are you great at interior design? Are you great at sales? Are you great at building community with your multi-level marketing, caring, resourceful, nurturing? It all counts. It all counts. You have no idea. If God can use a sheep herder and a skill of a slingshot, to slay the Goliath and rise that person to the throne. How much more can God do for your caring with others, your teaching, your connecting, your listening? You know, we've been taught that, well, if you're great at the stock market or you're great with commercial real estate, like then you can let, you know, great with politics, whatever. It's not how it works anymore. It's not those days are done. You're going to see that great divide. Honor what your superpower is and then ask for God's favor and watch time and space bend. Watch the right opportunities show up. Watch the right connections be made. Watch the right phone calls come in. This is what next level calling is about. So don't fall prey to she who works the hardest wins. She who works the most hours in a day is going to blow out her adrenals and become dissatisfied and burned out. That's what you get. Me, I was hanging out at a villa in Provence having the time of my life working in my favorite, at the time, favorite way possible, making a bunch of money, living the dream. That's what I call next level calling. So I want you to not dismiss these feminine principles that sound easy. Did you love the episode as much as I did? I hope so. I hope that you're feeling filled up and that all your dreams are possible and that you absolutely have what it takes to do this. And I am here for you. I'm here on your journey. And I just want to make sure that you are constantly supported with all things queen, high vibe, positivity, spiritual superpowers, and all the things. So if you have not already gotten in on the free companion course to my book, you know, my book is The Audacity to Be Queen, The Unapologetic Art of Dreaming Big and Manifesting Your Most Fabulous Life. You can get my book. I'll leave the link in the show notes. But I also have a free companion course. Uh, whether or not you have the get the book, this course is meant to just support you with really taking a look at who you are and how you can get to where you want to go. So you can check it out at divineliving.com forward slash audacity, divineliving.com forward slash audacity. That link will be in the show notes as well. Like I said, it's completely free. There's videos, there's workbooks, there's a Facebook group. So get in on this good free content, share the link with your friends and enjoy. All right, my beautiful, I hope that you have loved this episode and it has been a blessing in your life. And if you could use a little extra love and support in sisterhood, I want to invite you to join me in my global community in the Audacity to Be Queen free companion course. 
This is completely free. And when you go to divineliving.com forward slash audacity, you're going to get meditations. You're going to get videos. You're going to get workbooks. You're going to get Q&A call replays with me. It's just a whole bunch of positive programming completely for free. I want to make sure that you have this love in your life. So go get it now at divineliving.com forward slash audacity.